But yet Paul did not write this letter alone as an individual. He wrote it as a team. He put it together with Paul, Silas, and Timothy. I believe it's a modeling of the relational relations of the Trinity. That God was trying to show us something in this letter. That there's more to building, having a church than an I, it's an us. God is a God of relationship. God is a God of community. And there's a lot of us in this room that are still trying to do life alone. You're committed to your own personal greatness with God. You sit here together, but you're not walking together. Perhaps the most powerful thing God wants to do in the world is not through me as an individual, but maybe through us as a church. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with Pastor Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona, welcoming a guest speaker for this message. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Join us at 2615 E 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Center or to make a donation online, visit us at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now, with today's message, here's a word from our guest. I am really blessed to be here with you today, and I know that this is a great day. And, of course, we love Pastor Tim and Jewel, and we love all of you as well. Amen. Look at your neighbor say, I love you too. (laughs) We're going to get right into the Word this morning because we have a lot to do. We're going to have an installation service at the end of this and ratify, and we'll explain all that to you more. We're going to be doing some things with your pastor and with Pastor Ray and his wife, Bev, and so it's going to be a wonderful time. You know, I remember planting churches and telling all of my young pastors to preach with passion and preach with purpose and, and go for it. Preach like it's going to be the last opportunity you have to preach. And I would tell them, remember where you came from and where you're going when you start to preach. Then one day, like Pastor Mitch, I got sick and I was sick for many years with a, a cancer in my liver. And it's nothing like hearing a doctor look across the table at you and tell you you've got three months to live. I don't know what, I can't even tell you how that feels when they say that to you. And I remember that moment. And so I, 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 it's funny to me that we've actually set aside a day in America that we call Memorial Day. It's a day that we look back and we remember. That's what Memorial Days are all about. And they're all about a challenging and painful moment in history where some individual rose above that moment challenged that moment, and overcame that moment. Memorials are unique moments in time that actually define you. And it's usually the crashing together of a tragedy and heroism at the same time. Now, all of us in this room have memorials. We all do, whether they're intentional or not. They're just big moments in your life that you remember. 
something that happened, and where there was a crashing together of tragedy and people, and hopefully in those moments, in your memorials, somebody rose above it and became a hero in that moment. But often, those moments are not where the hero rose above, but it's a moment where things crashed and fell apart, and we all carry memorials in our lives. Some of those memorials are great, and some of them aren't so good. But I'll say this about a memorial, a time that you remember, something you remember, is that they will shape your past, yes, but they create your future. They create your future. So part of the process of creating a new future, how many of you would like to have 2020 a new future? Part of the process of creating a new future is choosing different memorials in your life. You get to choose memorials. So if you're struggling with brokenness, you're struggling sometimes with perhaps a sense of emptiness. Perhaps you feel like you, you're insignificant or inadequate. Or maybe you're sometimes not even sure what your assignment on earth is. Then I want to challenge you to look at your memorial. Because it's your memorial that is informing you of your identity. What, if you're broken and you don't know where you're going, it's the, your memorial is a bad memorial. Because memorials inform you of your identity. That's what they do. They tell you who you are. When you look at a memorial in a, a park where there's some statue there, it tells us of a battle and who we are as a people, how we won and how we overcame. And so perhaps you are like I was. And perhaps somewhere in your life you have a memorial that has given you a bad information and made you feel orphaned or made you feel less than or made you feel inadequate. And rather than provoking the best in me, it provoked the worst in me. When I look back, I'd say that... I'm a failure. It's, I'm a mess. It's a problem. Look at all the trouble. I didn't see the, the future in it. I saw an ugly past in it. And so the beautiful thing, the good news I come to start this today with, you can choose a new memorial. You don't have to live with those memorials. You actually can choose a new memorial. And today, believe it or not, this can be a memorial. This service will be a memorial before it's done. It'll be a time where we remember our 10-year anniversary. And we want to believe it's a great memorial. Amen. It's a time where we can shape our future, where we can remember where we've come from, but also know where we're going to. And by the way, just as I'm talking about memorials, I'm getting to my text in a moment. Be careful of the photographs you let people take of you. <laughs> because decades later, you, there'll be a memorial of how much you have changed. It's amazing when you look back at your old high school Books. How many of you know what I'm talking about, those yearbooks? And you look at yourself and you say, man, that was a rough year. <laughs> and isn't it true that your clothing changes? How many of you remember when you were wearing bell bottoms, poofy sleeve shirts, and, 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 and big old platform shoes? They were laughing at my platform shoes the other day in my, my parents' closet. They found them. Now, that, that was true for, how many of you ever did those things? The only people's hands that didn't go up were from Winslow and Kingman, Arizona. <laughs> because in those cities, you only wore cowboy boots, Doc Martens, and flannel shirts. <laughs> Amen. See there. Amen. Now, if you moved to Texas, you even bought a cowboy hat, and you remember the day you did. These are all memorials, and I look back, and I look at those old, how many of you know it's a bad word called mullet? It was a bad word back then. It's a bad word today, but we, I look back in the old yearbooks, and everybody I knew was wearing a mullet. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, help us. Thank you, Lord, for change. Thank you that we can set new memorials in our lives and we can have a brighter future in Jesus' name. Amen. 
And so one of the areas that I was looking back and thinking about today as we start into where we're going is, is, is my relationship to faith. My relationship to faith. I, I know people that have been consistent in their clothing for 40 years. They look like they did 40 years ago. Amen. They still dress the same way, but it, it, and, and I, whatever, however that is. But what's sad is when their faith still looks the same way it did 40 years ago. Not realizing that faith must grow. Line upon line, precept upon precept, it must develop. And if you're still wearing your faith baby boots, it's time to grow up a little bit. And so our old memories of who we were and our faith back then will, if we're not careful, limit us to where we're going tomorrow in our lives now. So when you entered into a relationship with Jesus, here's what happened to you. You, you did not realize it perhaps, but when you came to know Jesus, you also were birthed into his church. And you came into a relationship with the church. Now, when I first came into the church in Winslow, Arizona, I'm not talking about my childhood. I'm talking about when I was a teenager and I actually kind of knew what I was doing. I, I didn't really understand the liturgy. I didn't realize why we did three songs and offering announcements. I didn't understand that. But what I did know is I did know that the people were kind. The people were caring. They accepted me, even though I was a mess. They accepted me, and they were, they were a church. They were a tribe of people, and I, and I liked that. But then as time passed by, as time went on, I began to meet people that were having negative experiences with churches. And I met these people, and they, they weren't speaking nice things about the church. And so I would try to talk about Jesus to people, and they would immediately bring up what the church had done to them, why they hated churches, why they didn't believe in church no more. And so their negative, their negative feelings were very seldom about Jesus, but very often about the church. And so, so I, I, didn't, I don't know that I thought of it intentionally, but over a period of time, I began to find myself in that same kind of a place. I would, I would try to help people see Jesus, but I would try to do it without looking through the church. I would try not to bring up the church because the church was kind of a bad word. And what it was was this is a memorial that people had built in their lives. They had had a bad experience built a memorial to it, and every time they thought of Jesus, they looked back to that bad experience, and that set their future. It would set the way they looked at their future. And so I was trying to tell them about Jesus without talking to them about the church because the church had such a negative place. And so the longer I walked this journey, sadly, I'm just being, can I be transparent today? I also became negative, and I became negative. A lot of things the church did was very ugly. A lot of things that I saw happening in churches was ugly. I didn't like the things that I felt. I didn't like what was going on. And I didn't, I, I, the church became negative to me. And so, so all of a sudden I find myself in a world where I'm a preacher. I'm supposed to be telling them about Jesus, but I'm afraid to talk about the church. Weird moment. And then I start hanging out with people that I've known for many, many years. And, and they somehow had elevated themselves to the place where they would say things like, I'm all about Jesus, but I'm just not into the church no more. As if they had risen above the need for a church. It's getting a little quiet in the house. So I want to talk to you today about the church. And I want to talk to you honestly, if I can, about my uncomfortableness with the church. I want to talk about my desperate need for the church. 
And I want to talk about how desperately we've got to be committed to the church just like we're committed to Jesus. I want to talk about that. The church was not our idea. The church was Jesus' idea. The very language, the church, he, he used. That was his language. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It was all about him. That's the language he used. Now, we've come along and we've corrupted that language. We've come along and we've destroyed that language. And we've given the church sometimes a very bad reputation. And so I, like I was saying, went through a season where I didn't even want the word church on my sign. We had a church that we called Sun Life, okay, down in Phoenix. But we didn't put Sun Life Church. We just did Sun Life. And then I had a church called New Beginnings. And I didn't want New Beginnings Church or Christian or nothing. I just want New Beginnings. I didn't. Now I pastor a church even today that's just called Harvest and doesn't have the word church on it. And so, so even though I, I was a church, I didn't want nobody to know. I want you to think about that for a minute. Why? Because I was uncomfortable with church. But today I'm glad to tell you that I've had a coming out moment. Amen. And I proudly tell you we are a church. And what we're doing, Jesus initiated. It was very important to Jesus to have a church. In fact, he died on a cross so that a church could be birthed. And it's very important to him. So, so there was a season that, that the memorials that I had built on church were negative and ugly. And when I look back, I didn't want anybody to see that memorial, so I tried to hide it. Then it went even a little bit further. I didn't want anybody to call me pastor because people had a bad connotation of pastors. TV evangelists had fallen, all this stuff had happened, and I didn't want anybody to call me pastors because of the, the word, that word conjured up ideas in people's minds. And so when I'd get around businessmen or politicians or, 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 or doctors or lawyers or whatever, I, I would just announce myself as I'm just Ray. And one day, even one guy announced, told, I walked into a room and he said, this is Just Ray, as if my name was Just Ray. I'll never forget that. I did not want to announce myself as Pastor Ray in a business setting. I felt uncomfortable with that terminology. And then they started calling me Apostle Ray. And I have to tell you, even to this day, it still makes me uncomfortable. Can I be honest? I, it, Apostle Ray. I, it, 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 wow, what do you say to a businessman, a banker, uh, uh, your city council, your mayor? Here, here's Apostle Ray. And so it's kind of like this weird. I, I, I didn't want to be a pastor of a church. That's two negatives in one sentence. I felt awkward. It's almost like they're announcing me, here's a cannibal. He's come to eat you and take an offering. Can I, I'm being honest with you. Finally, some of my spiritual sons came to me and they said, Pastor, you've got to allow us to call you pastor. You've got to allow us to call you apostle. You must do this. And I thought, why should I do that? They carry such a bad connotation. It's such a bad memorial. I, I don't want to do that. And I asked them why. They said, because if you would own that identity... There's a lot of young, amazing people that would aspire to become pastors and apostles. And because you won't own it, nobody aspires to become it. So they, they begin to recognize me. It's still, even he recognized me today as Dr. Ray, Apostle Ray, Pastor Ray. And, and let me tell you about that today. I'm talking to this as a church today. When you do that, when you call your pastor, pastor, 
or the title that God has given him, the place that God has given him. What you're doing is you're bestowing value and you're bestowing honor. Those are two things that you will never find a miracle in the Bible unless there's value and honor represented at that moment. When they did not value Christ, he could not do do no miracle there. Even Jesus couldn't do miracles. So value and honor are the culture and the place that create an atmosphere for the miraculous to happen. And I know we all want that. Now on the other side, I can't get up here and force you to do it. Because if I, if I be, beat you down and say, you got to call him pastor, you got to call him if I beat you up, it's counterproductive. Because it should come out of your heart. Amen. Some of you should know this by now, but if you don't, the more amens you say, the quicker you get out. I'm convinced that God wants to do incredible things in the earth. But I think that perhaps we're holding him back. Because we are individuals that go to church rather than a tribe who become the church. I want to read to you about an eruption into human history. This is our text today. Uh, This is the church becoming the most significant force in the world. I want to read to you. It's an unusual text, but the Lord brought me to it. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 1. I'm going to pull this apart a little bit as we go through it. Paul, Silas, and Timothy... To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I love the way that's constructed because the way that's written gives us insight to how God works in the world. Let me step back for a moment and walk, walk you into this. How many of you have ever taken a promise out of the scripture, some promise that God made, and you've claimed it to be yours? I claim this promise in Jesus' name. This is my promise, my promise. God, do this. This is my promise. And you keep on doing that for months and months, and it doesn't work. We're so Christian, we can't say it doesn't work. Sometimes it doesn't work. And we're wondering why it doesn't work. And we're all messed up. I, now, now, let me back up again. I understand that God sees us all as individuals. I understand that God counts the hairs on your head, except for some of you. <laughs> Where there is no hairs. <laughs> Amen. But perhaps, just perhaps, we have corrupted the narrative of the Scripture. Perhaps the promise is to us Okay, not us as individuals, but us as a tribe, us as a church, us as a community. I believe the Bible should be read first and interpreted first from we rather than I. That when we read through it, the promises are for us, not for just I, but they're for us as a church, as a community. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church. Now, let's, let's look at that for a moment. Think about that. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, it's a team. God is doing something in and through our lives, but it will pale into comparison with what God wants to do if we become a team and we begin to work together. This letter was not just written by Paul alone, but this letter was a team effort, and it says it right there, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. It was them working together to work with a church in Thessalonica. 
Now, Paul was powerful by himself. There's no doubt about it. Paul, Paul, I don't even know why he would need to have Silas and Timothy. It would seem like it was going to hurt his brand. It would seem like it was going to mess up his story. It would seem like, why do you even need to bring in all these other people? Paul was one of the most powerful men ever in Christianity. Through his life, he literally turned the Roman Empire upside down. But yet, Paul did not write this letter alone as an individual. He wrote it as a team. He put it together with Paul, Silas, and Timothy. I believe it's a modeling of the relational relations of the Trinity, that God was trying to show us something in this letter, that there's more to building, having a church than an I, it's an us. It's not just an I, it's an us. God is a God of relationship. God is a God of community. And there's a lot of us in this room that are still trying to do life alone. You're committed to your own personal greatness with God. You sit here together, but you're not walking together. Oh, amen. Perhaps the most powerful thing God wants to do in the world is not through me as an individual, but maybe through us as a church. Don't be confused now. I don't believe it has to be Paul, Silas, and Timothy. It could have been Mary, Martha, and Susanna. It could have been Lupe, Juan, and Chito. God is looking for both men and for women that will lay down their egos, will lay down their pride, will lay down their brand, will lay down their name, and come together to do something great to change the world. That's what God's looking for. So it starts off as a team, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and then it goes right into the verse, to the church. Now we skip over that because we think it's an introduction, but it's more than that. Somehow we live as if the church is us by ourselves. It's about us. We want God to do for me what really God wants to do for us. So maybe you have to step into community before you can step into your promise. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church. Now this is my uncomfortable moment right here. I've spent a lot of years in my life trying to reclaim the reputation of Jesus because I want people to see Jesus for who he is. And I want to, I, to do that, I've tried to strip away the damage that all of us who've carried his name but not carried his character have caused. And so somewhere, my solution has been to uplift Jesus but kind of throw the church to the baseboard. Okay, and, and I'm ashamed. I've been ashamed of my association with the church. I've been ashamed of my association as, with the titles of pastor and apostle. But when I got to thinking about this and praying and God was showing me, this is not about you. It's about a church. It's about something bigger than you. And you're part of something huge. You're part of something powerful. When I started to see that, I began to blow my mind as I thought about all the great things God has done in my life. I've been able to travel to over 100 countries of the world. I've been able to stand in crowds as far as the eye could see. I've seen legs grow where there was no leg. I've seen eyeballs form where there was no eyeball. I have seen some of the most amazing, incredible miracles. I myself have experienced a complete miracle from liver cancer, completely healed. I, I've seen so many things. But when I think about it, nothing that I have ever accomplished has been done outside of community. Uh huh. I've spent my life trying to hone the craft of communication, trying to preach things in such a way that people could track with me and it would make sense to them. 
And if I preach a sermon that you understand, it's not accidental. It's because of hours and hours of work. Same with your pastor, same with Pastor Mitch. We put a lot of time into it to try to make it palatable in such a way you could understand it, what God is trying to say. So here's what I'm trying to say to you. If I preach a sermon, it really only has value if you hear it. Right? If you hear it and you receive it and you allow it to shape your life, it has value. So my sermon is dependent upon others. If there weren't others in here today, I'd be preaching to its empty chairs and it would have absolutely no value. The value is not in my great sermon. The value is in all of us. Right? And I suspect that was God's intention from the very beginning that our greatest contributions would not emerge in our lives because we are so great, but our greatest contributions would emerge when we come together as one. And you and I begin to serve together, walk together, live together, experience the promises together, not just do this thing, it's all about me, me, me. Quit being so narcissistic as a Christian and start to realize this thing is about more than just you it's about something that's a great, a large thing. The church is powerful when we move in concert together. That's when the church is powerful. It does not mean anything for you to march by yourself. It really means when you march in rank. That's when an army comes alive. Amen. It doesn't mean a whole lot for you to be on paid staff. Oh, I'm now a paid position. I'm now... This guy, I'm this guy. That, listen, I, I, listen, let me step back. It doesn't matter to me today if you're a doctor, a banker, an architect, a barista, a plumber, or maybe you're even in between jobs. Whatever you're doing, you ought to be doing it with the idea of Jesus as your mission. Wherever you find yourself in life. So here's what he says. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, a team. To the church, that's not just you, it's all of us. Of the Thessalonians. Now, Thessalonica was a city. In other words, this church belongs to the people of this city. Somehow we think the church is for us. That's what we think. That we believe this whole thing today is for us. That we've come to hear the great Ray Ray preach his poofah message. And it's going to make us great. The church is not here just for us. We are the church. We are here for the world. We are here for the, we start with the city of Flagstaff, but we're here for the world. All over this country right now, cities are rezoning to make sure that churches can't get in. They're trying to make sure that churches don't come. There's a lot of reasons for that, but I, but I think one of the greatest reasons is, is they don't think the church is to be vital to their future. They think that the churches are a drain on their economy, and they're a drain of, of resource and land, and they don't see the church, all of us, as vital to the city. And so they, I think that you and I need to redefine the value of a church to a city. Okay? That wherever we go, things change. People change. And it changed for the better. That we in, 
enable the community. We strengthen the community. We bless the community. We don't see them as in opposition to us. We see pre-believers as, as pre-believers, and we are here to serve them and help them and make them better than they are today in any way that we possibly can, that our job is to serve the pre-believer, not condemn him. The church... He says to the church of the Thessalonians or to the church of the Galatians or to the church of the Ephesians or the church of of, of, of the flag, what would we call it, Flagonites, (laughs) Flagstonians, there. This is to the church of the city. It's not just to the victorious life. It's to the church of the city. It's to the city. You have to understand that. Jesus, when he thinks of the church, thinks of the church as both macro and and micro, big and small. Without the internet, here's what Jesus says to his first church. He speaks to us. This is what he says to us. You're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. In other words, to the entire planet. That's macro. That's big. And then he backs it down a little bit to Samaria. That's people that they did not love. They backs it down a little bit more to Judea. That's to the outer regions. That's people that you don't really feel responsible for, like the Hopis. Yeah, now we're messing. Yeah, I'm, talking to the, I'm talking to you. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I want you to hear what I'm saying. The smallest unit that Jesus ever speaks to the church about is a city, Jerusalem. He doesn't speak to the church as Joe or Joe's friends or your neighbor or individuals. The smallest denominator when Jesus is talking to a church that he uses is a city. That's the smallest denominator. Now, we think so small that we think it's all about us in here. We think, well, I'm trying to help you. Jesus doesn't see it that way. Jesus sees it as we are a church for the city. And the smallest thing that we should ever be reaching is the entire city of Flagstaff. And it's our responsibility to serve and to love and be a light for the entire city. So we're supposed to start at the smallest unit with Flagstaff. That's the smallest unit we're supposed to start with. And then we're supposed to turn it upside down. And then we start messing around out there with the Nabajos. Then we even mess with the Hopis, oh God forbid, and maybe even a few wild Apaches. Then we go over there to those new age psychos down there in Sedona. Reach out to Cottonwood. We even get all the way to Tuba City. We go everywhere. Now you understand, he says the smallest unit you guys are supposed to be reaching is the city. That's the smallest unit. And the Bible didn't even have internet back then. Listen to what he says. First of all, he says this. Your work is produced by faith. Your labor is prompted by love. Your endurance is inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to say, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. 
Now watch these words. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia. Let's break it down to words you can understand. In Cottonwood and in Winslow and in Loop. And the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Flagstaff, Winslow, and Loop, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Can you imagine reading those words and God is speaking to you that your faith has been known everywhere? We're just getting started. No, we really are as a church because there's a people across the street, just right here in their neighborhood, that don't know that they're loved by God. They don't know it. There are people in this city that don't even know you're here yet. You don't believe me? Come with me this afternoon. We'll go to the mall where people don't know me. And let me walk up to people that don't know me and ask them about Victorious Life. And let's find out how many of them even know you're here. Not being ugly. I'm trying to help you. You could, I, I, w- I was in a city for years, and I hadn't even turned upside down my neighborhood, let alone my city, let alone a region, let alone a world. But here he says, your faith has been known around the world, and I believe that's what God has for victorious life. I believe, listen to me carefully, I really believe this, that one of these days, you're going to have somebody come in here. Here's what happened to me. This, is, this really happened to me. Someone called me from Europe to tell me all about someone who was in Central America that came to my church in America to receive Jesus, and now they're serving Jesus in South America. So all of a sudden, I'm reaching Europe, South America, America, and Central America all at the same time. Your faith begins to spread by your labor of love. By your inspiration, by your hope, God begins to do something. And I believe that's exactly what this church is capable of. You've got a pastor that has a heart for missions. You've got a pastor that believes in people of a different skin color, amen, that believes in those things. People around the world need victorious lives sent to them. People need to know that we're, we're generous with the God that we, amen. Somebody talk to me today. I think that this is something we need to understand. I don't fully believe that we understand what we're really capable of because we think in a unit of ourself rather than a unit of a, of a church to a city. And when we start to reach this city, the power that God can do. We, I believe that people all around the world need churches like this. And Now, I know there's churches everywhere. I know there's churches everywhere. But that does not mean that those people are actually hearing a message of Jesus that makes sense to them. So we have to send people there that can go there and represent Christ in a way that makes sense to them, that's not just about, hey, I've arrived in town, but it's all about, hey, let's do something that can reach this city for Jesus. I've evangelized churches. I know that these men have done the same thing. But I've started churches in nightclubs where we had to actually go in on the weekend because they used it through they used it all Friday night they used it Saturday night they used it Sunday we had to go in there and pick up we had to wear rubber gloves because we was picking up hypodermic needles and other little things including mattresses off the floor but by the end of that thing we had that auditorium packed with people people who would have never ever entered a church we went to where they was 
We went to them with the gospel light, with the love of Christ. We shared the message in such a way that it could relate to them. And we became a model for others that they might press into the future. We became a memorial for somebody's future. We weren't trying to be cool. We weren't trying to be trendy. We were simply trying to tell people about Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, so, so when you go out and you start something new and you begin to press into a new area, you don't get the glory, you get the suffering. That's what our text was talking about. But then suddenly everybody looks back at the day when all of a sudden the auditorium is filled with new people. You, give an example. Let's use something real. You guys are going to the casino to do a women's conference. Now, casinos aren't notorious women's conference areas. But wouldn't it be cool if they look back and they didn't think of a casino as that, but they thought of a casino as a place where God touched their life? If, what if it became a memorial to several of those women when they drive down that highway? That's where God did something special in my life. Where God did something, and they remembered it for that. They remembered that you were motivated by love, and you brought your entire worship team out there, and you brought your, your women out there, and you supported, and it was at that place that God did something in their life that they began to know who Jesus really was. It, was, it wasn't necessarily in a building location. It was a church. It was a group of people who magnified the name of Christ. That's a memorial. I don't want to ride on the momentum of the past. I want to build health and memorials for the future. I want people to look back and say it was at that place, at that moment, at that time that God reached into my life and advanced me into my future. I, I, I want to do something because I love our city. How many of you love Flagstaff, the mountain? we got to do something that, that, that we can reach the people that are the furthest from God in this place. Victorious life was never created just to survive. Your name even says that. We were created to be the most innovative, creative, do anything to reach people for Jesus, church that there could be. That's what God do, to bring victory in their life. Amen. And I want to say this. If you sink in the process, so be it. Whatever you do, do it all for God. If you mess up, you mess up, but give your all for God. Let them see the love of God. Let them see your heart. Tell them about that. Amen. People always come to me, Pastor, if you'll tell us that God's going to bless this, we'll follow you. And it always causes me to want to lie. And just say to them, one little lie won't kill them. Yes, I know God's in it. But just, can I be honest with you? I don't know if God's in it. I know it's, we've prayed. I know I feel inspired. I know I feel motivated by love. I know I feel hope. I know I, but I just don't know. I know to me it's the right thing to do. To me it's the best thing I can do. But the fact is I can't tag God and say God's going to do it because I did it. But I'm going to believe that God will help me. And if I crash and I burn in my attempt, at least my bloody skid marks will be in a direction that you ought to know where the church should be going. Is that a little too rough? First Thessalonians 1 5, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. And he says, because of that, you became a model for all believers. The world today desperately needs a church that can be a model. Instead of a church that looks horrible. A church that where the preachers are fussing, where the people are fussing, where you're scamming and 
I'm telling you, the church world is a mess right now. There's some big churches out there right now fussing and fighting over stuff that's, that's horrible. The church has begun to be known as the epicenter of condemnation and judgment. We're full of guilt and shame. We abuse power. We abuse people. And it needs to change. Amen. So that in a hundred years from now, our great-great-grandchildren can look back and say, there was a move of God that touched my mama, touched my grandmama, touched my mama, and touched me. I want to throw out a possibility today as I close. Let's start a new memorial at this 10-year anniversary. Let's put up a new marker that in 20 years from now, our children, our, the babies that are over there in the nursery right now, can look back and they'll talk about what God did in Flagstaff, Arizona. In 100 years from now, 300 years from now, we're reading a scripture that's 2,000 years old. In a thousand years from now, when people think of Flagstaff, they won't think of a mountain, but they'll think of an epicenter where the movement of Jesus Christ began to flow, where lives were being healed. God was touching people, where something was alive and real. When you think of Paris, what do you think of? Romance. When you think of Washington, D.C., what do you think of? Power. When you think of New York City, what do you think of wealth? I would like when people think about Flagstaff, they think about Jesus. You can create a new memorial. You can create a place where this city is known for Jesus. It's known for a people that work together, that walk together, that believe together, that pray together, that have a value and have an honor. That there's something powerful, even though there's been a lot of witchcraft up on this mountain. We all know that. We're not ignorant to that. We overcame it. We lifted high the banner of Christ. We were strong with Christ. We created a, a future out of courage and boldness, and we stood up. Amen. Do you believe that we could do that with this motley crew this morning? Some of you look at me, I don't know. I believe that God could use all of you. I believe that there could be a domino effect that comes out of this city that reaches around the world and becomes so much bigger than you've ever dreamed it could become. I believe you could have an effect in nations around the world. I know you've already had an effect up in San Jose. You heard about it today. I've just used that for one example. Your church's prayers affected that church. You've already affected to California. Amen. I don't know you've gone further than that, but I'm just giving you an example. I believe this year God wants to do some very powerful things in this church. I know that you're planning a great outreach endeavor. And, and you're getting ready to have a, 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 a thing with the women. But I believe God wants to, and that's powerful. We need to go for that with all of our gusto. What, 600 women plus. We need to reach these Navajos. We need to reach the Hopis and the Apaches. You need to reach the Hispanic population. You need to reach the African-American population. And you need to reach some gringos. They're a mess. Amen. I know this year you're targeting to put out, a, a, what is it, a 800 to 1,000 sleeping bags with the Thank You Jesus Project with Elizabeth, Elizabeth Savage. I believe God can do that. How many of you believe God can do that? I believe that God's, you're on a radio station. I think you've got seven or eight places you're, you're functioning into now. I believe that God could multiply that. 
Your pastor's got one of them radio voices anyway. God could use that voice to go around the world. I believe God could create a domino effect right out of this church where other people could see a model. But here's what we need as I close. We need a people that will say, this is my church. This is my city. This is my assignment. And I will not abandon my post. I really believe, as I was praying, that you are strategically positioned here and it's bigger than you. I believe your promise is bigger than you. I believe it's bigger than just this church. I believe it's as big as this city, the regions beyond, and the entire world. I believe God has a plan for this church, and it's not just for us, but it's for us coming together. And as we come together, we can move out as a model to show other people the love of God, the inspiration of God, our hearts, how Jesus moves, how Jesus thinks, establishing an atmosphere everywhere, wherever we go that things get better, not worse, wherever we go that people can find Jesus, no matter what the culture, no matter what the skin color, no matter what the age, that they can find Jesus because we will communicate him in such a way that it's understandable to them. Amen. Whatever it takes, what, however we have to dress, whatever we got to do, we want to communicate Christ to the people. Amen. So let's create a new memorial this year. Let's create something that, that's bigger than just me or moi, but it's, it's all of us working together, working not only just with your church, but other churches. And remember, God looks at it as the church of Flagstaff. He looks at you as all as Let's be honest here. I know you don't have the title of pastor, but you all have the flow. You, you're, the, you're to shepherd the city for him. All of you are pastoring. Every day when you go to your work, every day when you're in the store, everywhere you go, you're pastoring this city. Represent Christ well. Have a character that represents him. Don't make it be an ugly place where people see your life and say, oh, that's what the church is like. Don't, don't be a bad memorial. Be a beautiful memorial for everybody. Let them see Christ in you. Establish a memorial that they can understand. And as you're reaching your city, amen, making things better, believing God for more, looking for things. I believe this is a great church, and I believe this is a great year. And I thank God for 10 years. Give the Lord a big hand, would you? Come on. Amen. I want you to bow your heads. This is our tradition. Amen. It's our tradition to do this. I do not know everybody here. I don't know your positioning with God, but I do know that God loves each and every one of you. He actually does have the hairs numbered on your head. He knows you intimately. He wants to bring you into something bigger than yourself, something more dynamic than who you are by yourself. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. God loves you, but he wants to bring you into his family. He wants to bring you into what he's doing in the earth. He wants you to be a part of the greatness, the power, the deep convictions, the moving of his spirit. He wants you to, to be a part of that and experience that. But you can't do that if you haven't said, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. If you've never asked Christ to be your Savior, to forgive you of your sins, and you'd like to do that, that would be our honor today to do that. And if you would signify that to me today just with an uplifted hand, lift your hand up high, Pastor Ray. I see your hands going up here on this side. Hands going up in the back. You'd like to, I see your hand, ma'am. God bless you. 
honest hearts. Anyone else? I see your hands. You can set them back down. God bless you. Anyone else? If you haven't lifted your hand, we've seen five or six hands go up. Anybody else? Listen, this thing is beautiful, and we want you to be a part of it. We believe that God has you as a part of what he wants to do in Flagstaff and the regions around, and ultimately into the world. Look up at me. I cheated to get through Winslow High School, not because I was dumb, just because I didn't want to try. I had no idea back in those days that God would send me to the nations of the world. No clue what God could do in my life. None. I, I, I was telling our church the other day, I, I had an English teacher who was going to make me give an oral essay. And I was so afraid to stand in front of people, I jumped out the second story window in Winslow High School. Well, there's several reasons for that. One, because the guys would think it was cool. Two, because the girls would think it was awesome. Three, because I was scared spitless. I wasn't going to stand up in front of nobody. Little did I know that my future would be standing in front of people speaking. You have no idea what God has for you today. You just think you do. But I can tell you as you come together as a unit that the promises of God for you will come alive. You'll begin to experience God in ways you've never experienced God. You, 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 you'll experience things personally on your own in prayer that, you, that are beautiful. But there's something about coming together. And the smallest unit Christ used was the city. And when you come together in that setting, there's something of a power, of a Holy Spirit, of a deep conviction that moves in a different way than you'll ever experience any other way. It's how God moves in the earth. From the guest of Pastor Tim Masters and Victorious Life Christian Center with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Join us at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. I'm Joe Harding from Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center. You're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.